It's Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We've got another crazy Lower Decks episode to review, this time called Crisis Point 2 Paradoxes. It's episode 8 of season 3, but first, oh my god, New York Comic Con was just filled with Star Trek news, and somehow we have to try to get through all of it. We got trailers, we got panels, we got interviews, we got legacy characters coming back. There, It was nuts, and we weren't there, which is also nuts. Yes, we were there in spirit, as it were. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I watched it live. Um, you could watch it live via a stream. So I felt I felt part of it. I, I was surprised that there were three trailers. Um, I, Discovery being the biggest surprise that they pulled together a trailer. I was shocked Discovery pulled together a trailer. I believe the week before, I think I was saying, oh, I'm sure it'll just we'll be lucky to get a clip. So that was yeah. fun. So let's start on Picard. I was surprised how much Terry put in the trailer. Oh, yeah. It was the villain reveal. So Amanda Plummer is playing the villain named Vadik, who's an alien whose ship is called the Shrike. The Shrike sounds like something you'd get in Fizbin. <laughs> it does. It, it has an interesting look. It, it's a little reminiscent of the Narada, but... Agree, for sure. And that it's for me to notice that. Is something like I thought it was similar for sure, but she's not a Romulan. I don't think. No, she's a mysterious alien captain. Although she just looks like Amanda Plummer with short hair. Um, Yes. In the trailer, she she does the classic chair spin, just like her dad. I know. Her, her, if you don't know, her father is Christopher Plummer, who played Chang. I mean, she's she's a scenery chewing villain. I think is what you're getting. I'm getting from this. Yeah, I mean, a mustache twirling was sort of the <laughs> the word that came to mind. Except that I love her in anything I've ever seen her in. So I feel like scenery chewing is a better choice. And I do think there will be more than just that. But I think she's definitely going all out. The one concern I have is that she uses the word vengeance, you know, and I'm like, revenge again. I know. But we kind of knew that. I mean, it's, this is some fallout from the Dominion War. So, you know, likely during the Dominion War, something happened and she's upset with the Federation and I guess specifically Picard. But, you know, I'm excited for Amanda Plummer. I think it's it's really interesting casting. I think she's an amazing actress and... I mean, maybe the biggest reveal was we finally got yeah. the Brent, like, well, I, I'm, you know what? I'm not 100% sure on this yet. You think it was a bait and switch? <laughs> I think it's not as simple as it looks. I mean, because remember when we had Terry on, he's like, I can't tell you who Brent Spiner is playing because it's complicated. Brent Spiner said the same thing. He said lore is in it in a very complicated way. He's lore, but I think he's not lore as we know him. Well, do you remember Terry said he's a new old character? So it's a different version of lore. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. You know, maybe the Borg made a new lore, he, but he was wearing a Starfleet uniform. So maybe he's working for Starfleet now. I mean, who the hell knows? By the way, and I'm just going to go off on a tangent to, to add a wrinkle to this, which could be related during Comic-Con. IDW announced a new comic book. So this month they have a new Star Trek comic coming out called Star Trek. And it's a new ongoing series. It's set right after Nemesis and uh, Cisco's in it. And it's going to be really great. Okay. So, and then next March, they're actually going to spin off another series called Defiant, 
which has Worf doing something related to that other comic book. And he puts together a dirty dozen kind of crew. Right. One of those people is Lore. Lore. You know, it it seems to me like maybe this is related. Like maybe War Lore has joined the good guys after Nemesis. I mean, this is you know many years later. Of course, maybe it's going to get set up in this comic book, which actually comes out during the run of season three of Picard. Right, it's coming out in March. So, I mean, it's interesting. I like that scene where Jordy's the one who goes, Lore. And then, uh, you know, he could be like, Nope. <laughs> I'm not Lore. I'm yeah. another Lore. I'm, or maybe he's named after me, Lori. I don't know. But I applaud them for the simple makeup choice to just take old data and put a little Android makeup on him. So take old Spiner and not. CGI him. Oh, thank Again. goodness. Thank goodness. You know, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it. first of all, it saved the millions of dollars. And it never really, you know, this, you could only do it for a limited time. It doesn't fool anybody and it doesn't look that good. Yeah. And, and, and the one line of dialogue and boom, you're done. Agree. He can say they finally figured out how to make me look like I'm aging. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> so that's just kind of a big question mark. But it's it's out there now so they didn't hold that back because i was asking terry on is like how long can you not show brent spiner you know because i thought they were going to hold him not even put him in this trailer i thought they'd wait until next year and try to reveal it within the show or shortly before so well that plays into your theory that that's not it's not a full reveal that there's more going on there fair enough um what else jumped out at you moriarty was a big one for people seeing Moriarty there again I mean look it's an interesting choice I am not I wasn't like oh yay I've always wanted more Moriarty I felt like I had enough Moriarty well this is and I think Terry said this during the panel like just an indulgence and I think in our interview with him he's like I just you know there's just some people yeah. I wanted back and Paramount and Alex are like hey, why do you need this person and he's like I don't know because well, they had him. to fly him in from <laughs> England and all this stuff and he was like I just really want and so that I relate to 100% <laughs> like if I could make my pick and just pick some random person to throw in for one episode I have people I would choose so I can respect that. Terry said that the season has three villains. Amanda Plummer is really the villain. Yeah. He also said Lore is a one of the three villains and Moriarty is another one. But then Daniel Davis did something he probably shouldn't have done, um, <laughs> which is he did a cameo for someone who asked him some questions. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited I can talk about this now. But then he said, oh, yeah, I'm just in one episode. It sounds like he might only be in one scene. Sounds like he has a scene with Riker. And he said, um, you know, he's a different Moriarty is kind of how he he may not be the same it, kind of like with lore. It may not be the Moriarty that was locked in the hollow cube is what I'm thinking. I think it's right. something different. He also said it was a callback to an earlier season, way before Moriarty even appeared, and that it has to do with the first meeting between Riker and Data. I don't know. Who knows what the hell that means? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, 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 that was the introduction to the holodeck, first scene in the holodeck on Next Generation, the introduction of Data. Riker said something to him about being Pinocchio, which is interesting. Right. Data tries to whistle. Right. Um, then they have to save Wesley. Wesley. Yeah who's falls in the river, you know? So I don't know. 
I don't think it's really that important. I think this is just one of those fun things, which is why I'm surprised he put it in the trailer. Maybe he was worried it was going to get out anyway. Yeah. The thing that so many people are talking about is there's a very brief mo- So a lot of the trailer, you know, there's a lot of space battle stuff. So you see a ton of the Titan and the Shrike and shooting at each other a lot, which we knew was happening. You know, he's called it a submarine movie. There's a lot of, you know, nebulous stuff. So it sounds like a lot of Mutara inspired stuff from Star Trek 2. But there's like one brief moment where you see the Enterprise F because, you know, we there was so much talk about the Enterprise and people are like losing their minds like, oh, my God, it's the Enterprise. But I bet that's all like I bet. That's it. Like, that's all you're going to get. We're not going to see the bridge. We're not going to meet the Enterprise crew. It's just like, here's the Enterprise. They use the Star Trek Online design, which means it's not important enough for the show for them to create their own Enterprise. They just used. Right. Which is a good, you know, it's a reasonable approximation of what would come after the Sovereign Class Enterprise E. It's obviously not going to be a major ship for the season. You know, because remember in season in, in season two in the giant battle with the um, the Borg, there was like tons of ships and a bunch of those were these little ships and they just used some designs from Star Trek Online, which was exciting for all those guys because they got canonized. But yeah. that kind of says to me, like, that's how they see the Enterprise F. It's like just, it's basically a background ship is my guess. Right. It's a very important ship, obviously, but maybe not for this show. Right. Yeah. But it got a lot of attention. It did. I've also seen people talking a lot, arguing a little about Worf, who says, you know, that he's more interested in pacifism than fighting. I don't think he's saying he's a pacifist. I think what he's saying is, I don't just jump into battle like I used to. I have a different approach now. Yes. And there there seems to be something with him and Rafi going on, actually. Um, there's a scene where they're actually fighting each other, and he talks about how she's got anger issues i think and that yeah and he used to be like that so yeah i feel like that's gonna be interesting i also think to it seems to me that rafi is tied up in dr crusher's story as well and she seems to be on her own on some mission yep she's always seen in like a cityscape you know so she's doing her criminal underworld thing some robe kind of thing with a hood or something yeah, so we didn't see anything with her and Seven, maybe, you know, so they are not... Seven's on the ship. I mean, the scenes with Seven are on the ship. You know, she's hanging out with Picard. It's weird on the ship, like, sometimes Picard's giving orders, sometimes we've seen Seven giving orders, but we know that there is a captain of that ship. So I'm like, what, like, what does this guy ever give any orders? You know, well, it's hard. It? We have all these people who are so used to bossing people around. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because Terry said he's a major character. It's, you know, that's going to be the next reveal is who's the captain of the ship, I guess. Right. Anyway, you know, I'm excited. I th- I mean, th- I feel like the trailer was a little bit, there's like al- almost too much going on, you know, which makes me concerned about like the season of nostalgia and callbacks, but I'm still very excited about the season. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very excited. And I love how excited they all are, too. Right. I mean, the panel, it was great seeing them all together and the rapport they have. And, you know, they didn't really break it. They were so like, you know, talking, they kept on talking about their NDA. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Well, Frake said that there's conflict between Picard and Riker. 
which there always unusual. should have been. Yeah, like he's like, I know, you know, Gene Roddenberry didn't want it, but it's good to have. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't reveal much. Just the little tidbits were fun. And it just it basically got me really, really excited for watching the show. There's a thing Marina said. I mean, there's, there's stuff to be revealed. Like Marina said that whatever she, her story is, it's, it's part of the thing we can't talk about. So apparently there's a thing and they're not supposed to talk about it. Right. And it's not one of the things we already know about, like the, the Shrike and Vatic and the rest. So there's some there's another shoe to drop that maybe we'll wait until the season comes or we'll find out in the next trailer. But anyway, they were all great. It was definitely the thing people were talking about the most. Um, they also put together a really nice video after or during the event that Paramount released after with them thanking the fans and Terry was in it and they're talking about how they hope, you know, they feel like season three is going to be a satisfying conclusion and their best work yet. But it was really just a nice thank you to the fans for sticking with them for 35 years. And it had that sweet clip in it that happened at the panel, which was that someone got up to ask a question well, most people just really wanted to say, like, I love you. But someone got up to ask a question and got very emotional. And Marina got up and ran down to hug her because she was crying. And I just thought that was, like, just so, like, I love that Marina is just going to do her thing. And that's what she wanted to do. And she did it. And they put it in the video. I thought it was really sweet. But then I thought, now everybody's going to get up there and cry so that Marina will come out and hug them. So, but I just thought that was a, a beautiful moment. And I feel like that may, maybe that's what inspired them to quickly put together a video like that. Like maybe even just how the, what the reaction was like at the panel. And it's great to see our friend Terry out there, you know? Yes, and, finally. And in the, in that thank you video and on stage, because the show's been associated so much with the previous two showrunners. And I'm looking forward to those weekly packages they put out, you know, where Terry can talk about the episode, like, you know, because Akiva was doing those all last season. It's time for Terry to shine. Oh, and has he ever got stuff to say? So, you know, yeah. he loves talking about it. Yeah. The one other bit of news that came out of the panel was Patrick Stewart, who said, I know there's some people from Paramount Plus here and Paramount Pictures. And so just so you know, we want to do another movie. Yeah, I think Frank said, I hear there's a hole in the schedule. <laughs> right. But he said it after Stewart said that, you know, because he, yeah, that's a little needling on his part. From because the fact that Star Trek Four was removed from the schedule recently. So uh, anyway, it's it's a thought. So here's the interesting thing. So they're talking about how they'd like to do a movie, and yet what Alex said at the panel, which I thought was interesting, was that they couldn't have done what they're doing in this season. They wanted to give the cast the proper send off, which Terry has been saying from the get go. And he said we couldn't have done it in a movie. People would have been left out. It wouldn't have been what everyone wanted. And the only satisfying way to do it was to do it in this ten episode season. Right. So you're not going to get every. You know, you're going to get short shifted in the way that Marina and Gates were in all of the movies, basically. Right. You know, and and Riker too, although he got to direct a couple of them. You know, so yeah. I mean, I'm sure if he was directing, he didn't mind so much. But, <laughs> but yeah. So I, again, I'm not sure that's the best. I mean, I generally just think Star Trek's better on TV than in the movies, anyway. I don't know. It was. I mean, look, would I go on the first day and be excited? Yes. <laughs> I think something that something that could happen is I know Terry wants to do this, um, or I think he does, is he wants to take the final two episodes that he directed. He sees those as a movie. And so that would be 
probably somewhere between, you know, maybe it's close to two hours, roughly. So typical movie length. And he wants to do a limited release of that. Oh, that'd be great. So that, yeah, that would be interesting to see how that would perform, because obviously it would be on Paramount Plus, you know. So, but that might be an interesting test if Paramount ever wanted to do it. Maybe the Fathom Events thing, who knows? So. Yeah, look, the movie industry is trying to figure itself out now. There's so many, the, the whole, both industries, TV and movies are changing so much that it's time for experiments like that, for sure. The more surprising thing was Spiner blurted out, you know, if not that, then I want my own show. Yep. <laughs> and I just, I was surprised to hear him say that because I, it wasn't a joke. I don't, I mean, it was a joke because he's always joking. You know what I mean? But he's not joking. I think he really, I think he's into it and he wants to, he'd love to do that. Well, I, th so, and I also think we know there's going to be a spinoff. I think it's a really safe bet to say that Jerry Ryan is going to be the star of it. Right. I, well, okay. When you say we know there's a spinoff, we know that he, Terry wants to do one. Yeah. I mean, okay. So they haven't officially said there's going to be a spinoff. There's enough chatter and talk and buzz that it seems pretty clear that we're going to get a spinoff. At some right. point. And it seems pretty clear that Seven of Nine is going to be right. the star. But there, there would be a 25th century show with a combination of new young cast, maybe Mika Burton and um, right. Chestnut. I forget who's the who's playing Jordy's other daughter and right. other people. Right. And Jerry and. Hopefully Michelle Hurd. Yeah. But if he might see like maybe Brent is like, well, they're, they're giving out shows. Right. Just want to I, let them know I'm available. <laughs> yeah. Well, that actually ties into what we can talk about next, which is during the Prodigy panel, a fan asked, are we going to see Kate Mulgrew in live action? Which everybody's been asking. <laughs> right. And including Kate Mulgrew. And what's funny is there was this pause and Kate turned to Alex and said, we're waiting. <laughs> so, right. You know, she's like, you know, I want to do it. What do you say? And you know he hemmed and hawed, but then he said there is an idea. So that could be the 25th century show. Anyone can slot into that. No, and look, we all want to see Janeway and Seven together. Yeah, everybody wants to see that. But he did. He said things have been talked about, and he said he'd like when she joked about how she'd like to do it while she's still ambulatory. He <laughs> said he'd like to do it sooner rather than later. So I, I would not be surprised if. After season, you know, I mean, but nothing like this will be announced until they see how season three goes. Right. So let's talk about, since we're already talking kind of about Prodigy, let's talk about Prodigy. I'm so excited for Prodigy to come back October 27th. What did you think of the trailer? It was cool. I, you know, everything in it was fun. It, there was not a single surprise, but that, I'm not saying that was a bad thing per se. It had all the core elements, you know, it looks fun and a little bit more adventure a little you know definitely you know we're getting the sense that you know they're getting closer to starfleet you know as they've been saying so we see the borg you know there are more ties to you know star trek as we know it and they're not stumbling around so much like now they're sort of figuring they have more purpose right we see them you know i'm still confused and we you know when we had aaron on we talked to him about this about when do they wear the uniforms? When do they not wear the uniforms? You know, because they half the trailer, they're in them. Half the trailer, they're not. You know, the the big thing is this kind of confrontation between the two Janeways. And I guess the question is, how long could they drag that out 
right? Like, because it's just kind of a miscommunication, right? Like, there's got to be a point where everyone says, oh, you know, we're all friends. Right, but they can't. I think they're afraid they, you know, because they have this weapon on board, which we know from the trailer, they're going to figure out pretty quickly that that's what's going on. So there's going to be a reason they have to try to keep some distance between them. They also announced that Ronnie Cox is coming back as Admiral Jellicoe. He's Janeway's boss. So he might be like the head of all Starfleet is my bet. Lower Decks kind of teased this because in the scrawl under uh, the news feed, he made the he ordered that no Starfleet vessel can have the Zebulon sisters on board anymore. So he's in charge. And he's still a party pooper. Totally. Yeah. It sounds like they're going to, you know, have some conflict. Yeah. It said he's going to be a foil for her. So that could be interesting if she's got the pressure of him. Maybe she, you know, doesn't get to do things the way she would necessarily want to do them. Uh, we also have an interview with Kate out. It's one of those group kind of mini press conference interviews. But the question we asked was about her hunt for Chakotay. Is it personal? Right. And she said, that's a very astute question. And she said, everything I, you know, Janeway does is personal. But you, you know, I imagine Jellico at some point, you know, maybe that's going to be an issue for him is that if this is too personal for her, for her hunt for Chakotay. You right. know, where he doesn't really care about that. He cares about Starfleet and the Federation. And the ship. He's not on the trailer. They released a picture of him. Looks good. But we didn't see him in action. So my bet is he's maybe shows up later in the season. Who knows? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because otherwise, I think they would have included him. They usually, those trailers are usually pretty focused on early episodes for obvious reasons. Actually, I have a question from watching the panel and watching interviews. So Jamila Jamil was part of the panel and we haven't seen her character do really anything, you know, like nothing where we've seen, you know, emotion or qualities of who she is. We know she's super excited because she loves Star Trek, but I love her. I think she's great. And she wore this nutty outfit that I enjoyed, but I sort of been watching all the panels and interviews i i didn't get the sense that kate likes her i i think she didn't get her yeah i think you're right i think they probably met in new york because um you know even in our interview she says she doesn't she hasn't talked to robert beltran you know right and yeah you know so she records on her own she prefers that she really likes it i know she's the only one (laughs) everyone else is like i wish we could all be in the booth together and she's like i am alone and it's great yeah yeah jamila jamil looked like an alien she had the crazy outfit and (laughs) she said in the you know we did an interview with her as well which will go up on the site next week that she feels like you go to comic-con you dress you know you should dress up and not just show up in you know jeans and a t-shirt her enthusiasm is great who knows you know i i get she's just from a different universe as kate she is i just wish like i wish there was a way to sit down with kate and be like no you gotta see how great this woman is because i'm a big fan of of I love her acting and I also just really like a lot of what she has to say. So I hope that uh I hope Kate opens her mind up cuz I love them both and it it made me very sad when I saw Kate reacting. And it was all subtle, you know, but she just didn't I felt like they were on completely different planet. The fact that they brought her I, I feel like the Essence character is going to be more important than we realize. Well, she said all of her scenes, she said they're they're playing back Kate's uh, voice, you know, her acting while Jamila was recording her stuff. So she said, I feel like I was acting with her because that's who her scenes were with. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff on the Dauntless 
you know, because we know that it's Divi Diggs and it's um Jason Alexander. Yeah, and her. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we we're waiting all season one, or God, we're still in season one. I know. <laughs> the first ten episodes for them to show up because they announced them before the season and they showed up for like ten seconds. She's the only one who said anything in the finale. But I think we're going to get a lot more of them. We saw a little bit of them in the trailer. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because it's all part of getting closer to Starfleet. And Ben Huban said we're going to see Borg and the Klingons and the Romulans and the Hagemans talk that there's more legacy characters. I mean, they're not doing a lower decks and they never will. They are just they're doing what they said from the beginning, which is they started way in the middle of nowhere. And these kids are getting closer and closer to the Federation. And therefore, they're you know we're going to see more familiar characters and places, but you know the, if if they're doing that in episodes eleven through twenty, you start wondering, okay, well, what happens? They've already finished writing episode forty. I think like how long could they keep these kids out of the Federation? You know, the, eventually they're going to show up on Earth, right? I mean, they, you know, they can't keep on coming up for reasons for them to not actually go to the Federation. Right. I don't have a problem with them all, you know, for, you know, if I, I bet the season, the show will eventually evolve where they are officially cadets and part of Starfleet. I think that's inevitable, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's what they're heading towards. I mean, like you said, you don't want to keep making up reasons for why they're not there. It becomes sitcommy almost. It turns into Gilligan's Island in a weird, annoying way. So we don't want that. <laughs> right. Because the funny thing is they gave them a ship that could just literally pop them right home. Like, bam. But then they made the ship toxic. You know, it's like, it's like really? So, you know, it's it's a funny thing that they've done. And clever. I think it's so smart. During the interview, Kate said that some of the things that are going to happen with Janeway in the next 10 episodes are shocking, dark, and unexpected. She also said several iterations of Janeway. I'm wondering just how many Janeways we're going to get. Yeah, I still think there's just the two. I, I, I don't know. I'm feeling like there's something else going on there. Maybe. I mean, she did play the evil Janeway briefly, so maybe she's going to come back. The evil hologram Janeway. Right. Who was under control of the Bal Makad. In the dark so uniform, yep. I do think we should just mention that the lucky people who were at Comic-Con were able to go get a small, plush Murph. Yes, it wasn't on sale. They were just handing them out at these pop-ups. <sighs> They're pretty small. They are cute. We tweeted out some of them. So I'm, we're still looking into whether they're going to go on sale. Because at Mission Chicago, there were these cute Geordie Bears, Lower Decks Geordie Bears, right? Remember, because uh, Boimler yeah. had a Geordie Bear. And those were given out at the con, but then they went on sale at this website afterwards. So maybe that'll happen. But I, I hope that there's a larger plush, like a plush that like a kid could hug and go to sleep in, that kind of a thing. A kid. Or, you know, me. Or you. <laughs> <laughs> I or mean, me. I really, I keep saying I really want the Rock Talk plush, but I'll, you know, the Murph plush too. I'm ready. So yeah, and I want action figures. I want the whole thing. And I do think that they're going to do all of that. Okay, now we can move on to Discovery and the and the trailer that we got to see that we were not expecting. And it was very, very action-packed. And l as they talked about at the panel, and as you could see in that trailer, like there's definitely a, a, a shift in tone and an effort to make things more exciting and adventurous. I mean, the show is still heavily serialized. But again, the show is pivoting again. And they're like, 
the dark stuff, you know, they're moving away from that and, and the heavy stuff of the DMA. And I think they've heard the, oh God, you're going to, you know, Michael Burnham's going to save the galaxy again. I think they realize they just can't do that again, or at least they're going to not do that for a season. Right. And instead they're going to have this, they're, they're calling it a quest and a mystery and a treasure hunt and it's going to be fun. And yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, me too. I, it's time. I mean, I always enjoy the show. I have a soft spot for it for sure. But and I love all the characters. But it's time to to shift gears a little bit and stop with the darkness and the galaxy wide stakes. So and I also think like there, I, I get what they were getting at last season. But there was just a f- sort of if you're trying to make something about uncertainty, it's going to be frustrating to watch. <laughs> so that was a challenge. But Alex talked about how every season has a different flavor. And so I'm glad that they're trying something there. It sounds like this is a bigger shift than we've seen. For sure. I think it's going to be like the difference between seasons one and two, which was pretty stark. And I think that'll be for the betterment of the show. So I'm pretty Pretty much looking forward to this. I'm also looking forward to they have some, they announced some new characters. There's a guy named Callum Keith Rennie who he's in Umbrella Academy. He was one of the Cylons in um, Battlestar Galactica, and he's a really good actor. And he's going to be playing Captain Rayner, who's a Vulcan, and he's described as gruff. And he's going to kind of have this tough chemistry between himself and Captain Burnham. So that'll be an interesting dynamic for the season. I just hope we don't lose too much Admiral Vance time. Yeah, like he was in the trailer for uh, half a second, if you looked carefully. But I, you know, maybe they, because they softened him up really quickly. But I thought they made him more interesting. I mean, I liked him once he softened up and I felt like his his edge I understood and then I liked where they went with him but yeah I hope this doesn't take away from his time because he's a character that I really enjoyed also and they introduced this couple called Maul and Lack it's a like a female human and a male alien I think it's the same alien remember when they went to that gambling place and yep it's not the same guy but it's the same species and the guy who ran the casino cool that was you know I remember thinking he looked great Makeup wise, they're described as a Bonnie and Clyde. They're couriers, and they're going to be in conflict with the crew. But it sounds like they're more. I, I, I you know, my bet is they are after the same, yeah, thing. Whatever the MacGuffin is, and you know, they'll be running into them, you know, throughout the thing. And maybe they know uh, Burnham and Book because they were couriers, also. Probably. So there's probably some history there, and all that, all that kind of stuff, which will be fun. Yeah. Most of all, it sounds fun. But, I, you know, they're not described as villains, you know, so I, I don't think they're villains. No, they're called outlaws, which is more yeah. interesting. I mean, I actually hope they don't do. I don't want need a big bad. I don't need it. Yeah, I mean, you could have an opponent, you know, especially if they're on this quest. You know, someone, you know, other people are trying to get whatever it is. But hopefully they don't have to kill them. You know, and or you know, or like <laughs> no, disintegrate and them and wipe pieces of them off their shoe at the end. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, they just beat them and they win whatever this thing is for the betterment of the galaxy. Exactly. I mean, the galaxy can get involved at some point. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's you know just not being destroyed. We also saw Tilly in the trailer, which makes me happy. I feel like she's back. 
right? Yeah, I mean, that's the weird thing. She's just back. The Nova's talking about it. She's just back, like, oh, you know, as if she never left. She's like, right. there she is. She's in Science Blue. She's on the ship. I know I said I didn't want to be here, but I changed my mind and I'm back. I'm like, okay, welcome back. It's her prerogative to change her mind. Sure. There was an interesting thing that Anthony Rapp was talking during the panel, and he was talking about how Stamets is looking for something to do, basically, a new, a new scientific pursuit. So, I mean, I think maybe they're not using the spore drive anymore or maybe he's just moved past it because they don't I, I don't know but because with the d you know he was in charge of the whole dma hunt and you know he solved that mystery so you know, he's on his own little personal journey this time although you good know, still like, on the ship i'd like to see him do more stuff so yeah. i'm happy about that although the thing i'd really like to see him do which someone did ask about was a musical episode and alex kurtzman said anything is possible i'd love to do it i mean i know this gets talked about on and off i am all in for that i would love a musical episode i don't care that it doesn't make sense <laughs> i don't you know i don't want a musical episode but if they figure out a you know a reason for him and others who could sing like um Colbert, wilson wilson yeah. Yeah, for like a couple minutes because they're on a planet where you have to sing to the people. It's the only way they talk or it's in a holodeck or, you know, it's I, I'm totally fine with that. But a musical episode where there's like singing all the time and dancing and choreography. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. I just do. I I am so delighted by the uh, Supergirl Flash crossover episode, which I watch whenever I need a little boost to my spirits. So I am all in. I just think it would, I don't, I understand that it wouldn't make sense and it would piss a lot of people off, but I would enjoy every minute of it. Uh, David Ajala's back. It sounds like. Thank goodness. They're, you know, Burnham in books. Sonequa said it's complicated. She made a joke that was like your face. She goes like your Facebook status. It's complicated, which I thought was funny. Well, but interesting, like, is he back on the ship? Is he controlling the spore drive? Is that why Stamets doesn't need to do that anymore? Book is the right guy to have around if you're searching the galaxy for this, whatever it is. Yes, absolutely. There was also a funny moment at the panel where Rod was like, is that Sonequa riding the ship? Yeah. I mean, yeah. which I assume assume he knew about. But anyway, it did make me laugh because it's like, yeah, she's riding. She's on the outside of the ship. <laughs> yeah, which she used as a joke to say, oh, this is a low key season and there's no action and no, you know, right. so it sounds like they are doing crazy wacky things uh does that mean uh that it's not gonna have a lot of talk about people's feelings absolutely not no i want to talk about people's feelings <laughs> they did say in the panel that there's a lot of character exploration and people you know trying to judge uh the mission versus uh their duty versus relationships you know we're gonna get plenty of that although Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp made it clear that Stamets and Culber are fine. Yes, but that's what the show is. And so if you're going to watch it and be mad about that stuff, then you're watching the wrong show. I like that they explore all those things. Yeah, even though we've been talking about all this action and adventure stuff, there's, you know, there will be hugging. It's just going to happen. We saw some hugging in the trailer. So, yeah, that's just baked into the cake. <laughs> are you ready to go to the movies? Oh, my God. There are so that. Yes. I guess is the answer. The simplest answer is yes. So lower decks, crisis point two, paradoxus. Tony, why don't you give your top level? I mean, we knew this was coming. It was for you know, but it 
exceeded expectations. I loved the original one. It was similarly a love letter to the movies. But also, like this one, deeply psychological. Right. I mean, that one was all about Mariner working out her issues. But I felt like this one was more character-based than that. And it was about Mariner, and but more about Boimler and about Tendi. Every minute of this was fun, but both of them went on some serious emotional journeys. Well, they kind of went off and each had their own separate movie. Which raises some technical questions, but we can do that later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I loved it. I loved it because it was funny. It was meta. It said a lot. It had a lot to say about Star Trek, about Star Trek fans, about the movies, but mostly about these characters. You know, what we missed last week was, you know, it had nothing to do with the people we care about. And now they're back and they've got stuff going on and... You know, we went on a great adventure and it's one of, you know, it may be the best of the season, I think. I think it is. Uh, one of the best of the series, for sure. And the Easter eggs are plentiful, of course, like the DS9 episode. But almost in a funny way, like they were like obvious about it, <laughs> about how these are references and callbacks and stuff like that. Well, it was very self-reflective in terms of the franchise itself, both from within it and the stories, the fictional stories within it, and looking out at the franchise as a whole and fandom and all of those things. So I thought it was full of surprises, very packed, not just with references, but with action and emotional moments. I always will love the idea of the holodeck for therapy. I think it's brilliant. So the premise is that Boimler, because the original Crisis Point was a program that Boimler created that Mariner took over and turned into her own crazy movie and she got to kill the crew and all that kind of stuff. This time Boimler gets to write the movie, but I thought the movie, even his original planned movie was a kind of a good movie. I liked the plot. Yeah. You kind of follow the plot, which was mostly ended up to be Tendies and Rutherford followed the plot with the Romulans, the chronogami, <laughs> the time travel and saving the Federation. Their whole story was just chock full of movie references. You know, the Romulan triplets were obviously Dura's sister. Yeah, I uh, thought I mean, that was which... such a funny, like, it's not just two Klingon sisters. We got three Romulan sisters <laughs> yeah. and they're triplets. Yeah, I thought that was great. <laughs> it was a good movie and it had a great ending. And then Boimler had his other, you know, kind of interesting introspective and then that ended with some excitement too and i feel like these two movies are you know part of the debate about what makes a good star trek movie you know? yes they were weaving in it like interwoven with the story with the character arcs and the the emotional beats were all these questions judgments statements jokes insights about star trek movies <laughs> Like starting from the very beginning where Tendi's like, is it really a sequel if Vindicta got blown up in the last one? Like what makes it a sequel? And then, you know, and all these and the, you know, the alternate cinematic timeline joke. But it's just. But they already made that joke like two weeks ago. I, I felt know. like that was a cheap jab. Like. Except this was the right place for it. This was the better. Right. Spot then why it. did they do it two weeks ago? It's, I feel like that was weird that they made the same joke. I mean, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was basically the same. It was still funny, though. And it wasn't even just about Star Trek fandom and movies. I felt like it was about fandom in general and all these 
multiverses and all of these things. Like there was just so much in there. And then sprinkled in with hilarious, silly things like that Mariner's name was Commander Doodle. <laughs> well, I mean, they had a lot of fun with the names. Yes. Boimler's hunt was after this thing called the Kitty Ha, which would which was <laughs> basically Viger. What was kind of a weird combination. It was Viger. Well, and they found it on a planet called Shantari. Right. Sh- so it was Viger and it was God, you know, the the the, the Shakari, and who turned out to be a rock monster, which was the cut scene that yes. Shatner couldn't afford it. So that was an interesting combination. They went to a planet called Tattashore 9, which <laughs> is Fred Tattashore's name. You know, So that was a little obvious. So, yeah, there were definitely a, a bit of fun. Were there any other kind of? Was the Dr. Gibson, is that, do you think she's a, is that, is that a reference to anything? I couldn't think of anything with that one. Yeah, I didn't think of anything for that. I mean, she's obviously Carol Marcus, but, you know, or Carol, Carol Marcus-like, except even hotter. Well, she didn't, I mean, she was created to be hot, and then she just didn't even know what to do. I loved that, when when he wasn't interested, because he was all sad and distracted, and she was just like, I, I don't know. Like she was just lost because that right. was her whole role. She goes, I don't know what to do now. And Mariner's like me either lady, but yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, because Mariner's like, well, why'd you make her so hot? Yeah. You know? And she, yeah. So that was kind of the first clue that there was something wrong with Brad. I mean, the look on his face was a big clue. He came in and his demeanor had completely changed, but she was yeah. too distracted to notice for a while. Right. And as she was talking, he was talking about dark thoughts and people being wiped out. So yep. it was clearly he was having a crisis of something. Right. The the triplets were called the Melpinar. I don't think it was a reference to anything. No, I mean, I felt like sometimes they're references and sometimes they were just like making up fun names. I enjoyed Knickknack. <laughs> <laughs> Knickknack's my new favorite character. He's like, yeah. he's up there with Badgie because that was so meta because that's when Boimler decided to go off script and start he basically started talking to the background characters right and knickknack's name itself you know was an example um i mean later we there was the mariner was fighting with one of the cultists and she's like you don't even have a name and the guy says acolyte too yep (laughs) (laughs) send her to the brig you know because it's true they were background characters and and there was the moment where they were one of them was um the uh, preacher was was stalling for time. Right, buffering, basically just <laughs> trying to wait till the information came in. I did like that Knickknack turned things around and is in love with Purplehead, Boimler. Yeah, well, kind of the algorithm's like, we need, you know, you've got to have a romantic subplot. We've got <laughs> limited characters, so... Knickknack. It's Knickknack, you know. <laughs> and then he called him Purplehead. Again, like, sometimes... These between Prodigy and Lower Decks, sometimes they just tap into like funny things from my childhood. And that felt like that, like Purplehead was just like right out of a little kid's pretend playbook. Which movie did you like better? You know, did you like which, you know, Tendy's movie or Boimler's movie? Oh, well, Tendy's movie was way more fun. And at Boimler's movie, I feel like we've seen it. <laughs> That's true. Boimler's movie is Star Trek V. <laughs> kind of. So. Yeah. <laughs> With the little Star Trek, the motion picture thrown in, in there. Yep. Although in the end, it was funny that, you know, because he was on this journey of self-discovery and finding the meaning of life. And so Mariner thought that the way he, he was going to defeat the flabby skinned cultist was to 
you know, give him some big Picard like speech. speech, you know. <laughs> I think he's past that at that point. Yeah, well, he was just pissed off. And honestly, it was his therapy too. So he needed that. I mean, the here's the therapy aspect that I loved. I love that when Mariner came back after talking to Ransom, she re-enters the program and gets thrown in the brig, and Boimler who's by himself, is just sitting in the brig. Like, he's just sitting there. He could have ended the program and left and done something else, but the, the mood he's in is that when the program throws him in the brig, he'll just sit there by himself. He didn't know she was coming back. Like, he would have just stayed there. One little detail I really loved, I mean, it's so minor, but I just love this detail, is when she left the first time, she had to step over the letterbox. Because yeah. <laughs> all the scenes in the holodeck were cinematic aspect ratio. Right. That was, that was great. That was fun. There's an interesting theory that came up on our comment section. Based on the fact that when Mariner left the first time, we saw her uniform change to the normal, which implied that the holodeck was creating their movie uniforms while they were in the holodeck. But the final scene, when Boimler wakes up from being dead, they all still have their movie uniforms on. So the theory goes that that final scene was still part of the simulation, that they're still in the holodeck. I mean, I've always been confused about that. I, I think it was just a mistake. Right. And, <laughs> well, also because Star Trek historically has been inconsistent about whether people need to wear their special clothes before they go in the holodeck. Or whether they go on the holodeck and then their clothes change. And I feel like that's been a little bit all over the place. So maybe this was being so meta that it showed <laughs> it both ways. Maybe. Or maybe. it's a good theory. I mean, it's also a good theory. So it's a fun theory anyway. And I feel like it's something you could uh, play with for sure. But, you know, but it's also funny that, you know, they essentially, that's kind of a Star Trek first contact joke, right? Is that, you know, you're in a big movie you get new uniforms and of they're course. darker. Yeah. Because they made the joke in a previous episode of why does Starfleet keep changing the uniforms? And they changed them again. Yeah. That's what I, I love about this is that they just keep looking at, again, looking at the franchise, looking within the story. It's so there so much commentary that's the, that it's us. It's the fans. It's the things that we say when we watch the movies, we know their flaws. Most of them have some hilarious flaws somewhere in there. And we love them anyway. And I feel like that's what this show does too. It knows the flaws, it points them out, and it loves them. Right. The fact that they base so much on Star Trek V and Nemesis, you know, the, the ships were from Nemesis, the dune buggy sequence was from Nemesis. And, you know, Mariner said, you know, she was saying this isn't as good as the original. I think it's better. But she doesn't because she likes her original. But it's still a Starfleet movie, which means yep. it's a good movie. Yep. Um, which, you know, is her way of saying a Star Trek movie, obviously. And then they had their Generations moment, which was fun with Sulu. I loved that he said, uh, the horsey's going to bite you now. And then the <laughs> horsey just attacks him. It was so good. So when you, I mean, I'm curious what fans think. So Boimler wakes up after he finds out about Kitty Ha is Kitty Hawk which is the V'ger moment. And he wakes up in, in this, in the Nexus and, or, or, but it's actually not the Nexus. It's Idaho. Right. Uh, but it's essentially the same Kirk's ranch. And it says Kirk on the mailbox. And did you think, Oh my God, 
they actually did it. They paid for Shatner or what did you think was going to happen next? I I mean, you know, I normally don't do those things, but I for a second I was like, did they? And then I just thought that they couldn't. Like I didn't believe it. But I had a maybe a half second of like, is it possible and how great would that be? Well, I I just knew that there was such a low chance. I'm like, yeah. I immediately is like, there's going to be a gag here of why it's not Kirk because there's just no way it's Kirk. Yeah, reality hit before I saw that it was Sulu. I yeah. just already knew, like, could the, no, but I did have a moment, a brief moment of thinking, maybe, maybe, but Sulu but, is pretty good, <laughs> right? And Boimler said it's even better, yeah. um, and 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 it probably was uh, for what he needed at that moment. Which is he needed someone to give him some good advice to just yeah. stop obsessing over the death of his. I mean, he didn't even like his transporter clone, did he? Well, I don't think it was that he was mourning him. It, he felt that it just he was he couldn't find meaning in his own existence. Right. Because the fact that William Boimler just died, he's like, I could die at any moment and doesn't mean anything. And he, he got caught in a little loop on that one for sure. Right. He's like, he's the better version of me. And then he just died like that. Speaking of the twist at the end, what did you think of the cliffhanger that William Boimler's alive? I mean, I first of all, I'm so happy he brought up the badges for Section 31 <laughs> because we all, from the minute those turned up on Discovery, we all were like, why would a secret organization have badges? So I thought, and, and why would they wear them? And right, like, because at least what was his name? Leland. Um, Leland, like had it in a little like wallet or something. Right. But there was a guy on the ship like wearing one. There were a bunch of them wearing them. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I remember saying, well, that can't be section 31 because they're wearing badges. So obviously it's not. And then it was. So I thought that, I thought that was really funny. I thought it was interesting that he was part of it. Right. Because the first he says it worked. So it was part, he was in on the whole plan. Um, And I, I liked his maniacal laughter at the end. It was very you know, cartoony and fun. It'll be interesting to see where they go with that because I don't think it's just a one-off gag. So they're probably going to pick up on that. Is this related to the Rutherford conspiracy? Hopefully it is. So maybe they could tie those two things. Yeah, that would make sense. The question is, are they going to do either this season? My bet is not. We only have two more episodes. Yeah, they don't. Then they don't need to. Or maybe they'll, you know, plant a little another little seed before we go. It was funny when I saw the capsule when he was in the capsule. And of course, you think of Spock and the capsule and like everybody, they always put in a capsule. I happened to be <laughs> Brian Fuller was on the Delta Flyers this week. And so they asked him because it was an episode with the capsule. They're like, Garrett goes, what is up with those capsules? Like, where where are they shooting them out to? Like. What's the deal? And Brian Fuller goes, well, it's basically just litter. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I was like, yeah, you can't just shoot these things out. You shouldn't be doing that. And it did make me laugh. Although this one, there was a reason and they caught it. So that was good. I mean, if you're to do it right, you should shoot someone like at a star and give them kind of a Viking funeral, right? So that they get burnt up in the atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I just think it's your body who cares anyway, so don't even do anything. But whatever. Yes, that's definitely better than just shooting it out in a case for somebody to maybe find or just get in the way or bump into something or land somewhere. This is a perfect Lower Decks gag, right? Where, yes. like, maybe there's a planet somewhere and these things just, you know, <laughs> or there's a ship and they just keep on showing up, like, bam, dead body, bam, yeah. you know, another one. 
Causing a problem, yes. Like Stop just... firing your dead people off in these little torpedo tubes. Right, they're so. landing on us. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I that or just the litter was such a good word for it. <laughs> Which is not very Starfleet. It's not very environmental. It's It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And it's like something they did once and then they just keep doing it. <laughs> My favorite gag was somewhat subtle, depending on how big of a fan of you are of these things, but was when the doctor gave her exposition and she showed the animation and used the same yes. animation <laughs> as the Genesis device thing. And Rutherford says, Oh, what a, you know, those are amazing. He loved the graphics. Yeah. Cause the funny thing is in 1982, those were, you know, it was like the ILM. It was one of the first CGI things ever done. It costs a ton of money to do it, but you know, now it, it doesn't necessarily hold up, but, uh, I mean, I think it does. And, I, you know, the, then there, the the, or, the chronogami animation was hilarious with the two enterprises and the, 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 the some of the techno babble she was throwing out was great. Yes. There was even a little uh, Terminator tribute in there when they <laughs> when they uh, find the punks and Rutherford wants to find their clothes, put on their clothes. That's true. It's definitely Terminator. The, the clothing stealing was Terminator, but then one of the punks had a boombox, so that's a little Star Trek right. four for you as well. Right. Because it was the eighties. And he well. was called the punk on the bus. So but I love he goes, That's the fun part of the whole time travel thing. And then they didn't fit. It was just again just <laughs> so good. Like it was about movies, it's themselves. Yeah. He yells, We need bigger punks, I think, at some point or something like that. <laughs> So the time travel story, they stopped at some significant moments in history, but I liked how they this whole thing was started with in kind of the, the lost era between, you know, the TOS movies and the next generation. There's like 70 years of Star Trek history, which we know very little about, right? It's TNG. Well, now we know more. Right. Like <laughs> there was this. The mage, the algae crisis. Yes. Right. Everyone very, knows about the algae crisis. It's very gooey. <laughs> And the algae, you know, mind and and Ambassador Coro or something. Yeah. Ambassador Coro, who could communicate yeah. with the slime mind. Is it yeah, it's a giant octopus. So they they've just created like now, I mean, I'm sure by you know, as we speak, there is a page in Memory Alpha about this event and the key players on this event. This is now Star Trek canon, because even though it was within the movie, the way everyone talked about it, they, you know, they talked about it as if it was because the founding of the Federation, which they also showed that was a key moment in, you know, Federation history. And this is apparently just as big of a moment. Even though Rutherford went to get snacks, <laughs> which reminds me, let's talk about Tendi. We haven't talked about Tendi yet. Yeah, I wasn't sure where they were going with this because, you know, he was having fun and she was getting really aggravated. You know, she was started with having fun, like the way she took out the Romulan vehicle and leaped over it. And, you know, she was showing off what a badass she is. But then she she started getting really like it's kind of like when you're playing a game and there's someone who takes everything like really seriously while other people are just having fun and not paying attention to the rules. Then they took it to an interesting place, which is an exploration of her character and her whole thing about wanting to be a captain. Yeah, which she realized, again, good holodeck therapy. That was where she realized, oh, I, I do want to be a captain. And I loved his pivot. The minute he saw that that's what was going on, he was like, you'd be a great captain. 
we're, you know, ready for your orders. Like he got it in one second. Whereas before he was just eating, you know, you got to have chips. He was running out to get chips and sandwiches. <laughs> but I feel like the DS9 episode and some other stuff did lead to this of her kind of accepting who she is yeah. step by step. And she may be a captain, but she's an Orion captain. So she's got that background. And she's a leader. And look, people have been telling her to, that she is capable of more than she thinks. So now she's realized it. So that's been a great journey for her. And and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. But does she leave the science division and go to command track? It'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how far she takes this or whether it's just kind of a life goal, as it were. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about this episode is that if I had to list favorite moments or favorite lines, I would end up just describing the entire episode. Every frame, every moment, there's yeah. nothing wasted. You know, the music is yeah. amazing. You know, because the, 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 they, they use a lot of the movie music, but then they also took the score from the show and they made it cinematic as well. You know, and, and the directing was great. The writing was great. I mean, there's just... I really can't point to anything and say, I didn't like this. You know, I, I really liked every moment of it from beginning yep. to end. The the care and craftsmanship they put into it was tremendous. Yeah, I f- felt like Mariner talking about the vindictive verse was a, a commentary on us, the fans, and our obsession with canon mm-hmm. and with how things are connected. Because she's like, you know, that doesn't, you know, that should not be part of the vindictive. You know, so she was kind of gatekeeping, you know. Yeah, and she made a comment about fan fiction. Uh, that's why, I, you know, it's it's the outside looking in and the inside looking out. So many layers to this episode, but they didn't get, you know, stuck up their own butts. It wasn't just a weird experimental episode. They had fun and they never forgot to make it funny, even with some dark stuff. Yeah, and some emotional stuff. I loved Mariner's turn when she realized I need to take care of Boimler and be sweet to him. And she felt terrible as soon as she found out. And we've even seen the change in her because Ransom was telling her what a great job she's been doing. Yeah, so it seems like that, you know, are you going to get kicked out of Starfleet? Although maybe there's still some more to that coming. You know, when is she not under Ransom's thumb anymore? You know, when is she just back to normal? But it's working. It's it's done the job. I was. It's the same, like, as a parent, and her mom is the captain. There are things that your kids are just going to be better for other people than they are for you. I got a little Dr. Tana. Not only holodeck Dr. <laughs> Tana, but the real one at the end yep. with her wonderful bedside manner. <laughs> I know. I do want more of her, but I was happy to see her back because she hasn't been around much. And poor Stevens. Oh, my God. Twice in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Although the the much worse thing for Stevens is that Ransom had a picture of himself with his besties and there was no Stevens. No. It was so many it was so random. It was like the the, the nurse and the bartender and, and the one whale. Of, one of the whales. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> so, one of the whales. <laughs> yeah. Um Matt, I believe, but yep. no Stevens. So he would be crushed. Maybe that's why he, maybe he burned him. Maybe he heard about that and he burned himself on the warp core. Twice. As a, he, that was his way of a cry for help. <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else we need to, I mean, you're going to dig into this. You're going to do an Easter eggs article and references article that I don't envy you uh, trying to make. But is we there We mentioned a lot of those. Um... There's still so many more. But is there anything else you want to say about this episode before we wrap things up? 
No, I just hope that's not the last we see of Knickknack. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, I did like the koala got another call out. Yep. The mystical koala. So I like that that mystery continues. We continue to get little bits of the, the great koala. Oh, I'm sure we will. The koala smiles on us all. That was the... <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I feel yep. I feel comfort from that. From the koala. Exactly. The Maybe they'll koala. make a big plush koala. Yeah, I would like that. I would get that for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So I guess we should do our little bits of the week. Why don't you start with your bit of the week? Well, mine is just kind of serious. We're coming up on the midterm elections in the USA. And so there's a group called Trek the Vote, which did something in 2020 and they're back in 2022. And they help coordinate Star Trek fans to work as volunteers, as poll workers and really just to help get out the vote and it's not partisan and, you know, and, and work as poll watchers and there's all sorts of things, you know? So, but what's fun is a lot of Star Trek celebrities are involved and they put these videos together that are kind of in universe. It's Kate Mulgrew, all, all the Voyager stars, all sorts of people are in these videos. In the first one, they recite Captain Picard's famous speech about duty. And then they talk about, you know, how Starfleet cadets should, join up to help in this effort so it's kind of fun how they're doing it cool mine is about joy which is a lot of the comic-con interviews there's one where entertainment weekly sat down with the next generation crew to talk about picard the person doing the interview was named samantha heifel and i thought she did an amazing job but if you want to get a sense of the camaraderie of this crew watch that video like I don't even want to tell you things that happen in it because it's so much fun to watch, but I'll just set it up by saying immediately Patrick Stewart's holding his mic upside down and everybody makes fun of him. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, Michael Dorn calls him our fearless leader. Yes. Um, yeah, it, no, it was, it was, it's, it's really, they don't say anything about Picard. They talk almost entirely about the good old days. She started with a great question, which was, do, do you remember the very first scene that you filmed for Star Trek, the next generation, which they all, they almost all remembered and had stories to tell, but just to see the banter and the way they are with each other and the things that they say, it will simply fill you with joy. And, and you saw a lot of that on the panel. So yeah, we have an article up which has the full panel video, the full Entertainment Weekly video, and the thank you video. And they're all great and all worth watching. Absolutely. And that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week with the penultimate episode review of the third season of Star Trek Lower Decks. There's probably going to be some more New York Comic Con stuff. I know we got a couple more interviews and so come back because there's always something new in Star Trek. And while you're there, do us a favor and please leave a comment on the podcast page and let us know what you think of our podcast. Also, um, thank everyone who participated in the contest last week. It is now over and we will be notifying the winners. All right. See you next week. Goodbye.